Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Kingdom Culture. We are living in the midst of cultural changes that most of us have never experienced. As a result, we see an ensuing chaos that some have dubbed the culture of outrage. However, as followers of Jesus, we are called to build a kingdom culture. This 12-part message series, Kingdom Culture, is focused on doing God's will to see the culture of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Good morning, Valleybrook. You may notice things look a little different today. This message was pre-recorded because this week I was exposed to COVID-19 and I couldn't get tested until yesterday and I won't have my results until later this week. So because I love you and because I want to keep you safe, I'm not here in the building today, but I am with you online worshiping and praying with all of you. So let's dive in. We are in the midpoint of this series that we call Kingdom Culture. Let me remind you of why we are looking at the culture of the kingdom of God. You see, as followers of Jesus, we are citizens of heaven even while we live on this earth. And we need to influence the culture of this world with the culture of the kingdom of God as we live every single day. So we need to embrace the kingdom culture. Now, I hope that you're taking full advantage of this series by attending Sunday, whether it's here on campus or online, and that you're reading the daily scriptures from our talk sheets, and that you're participating in our weekly life groups, our small group ministries. Um, We want to encourage you to do that. If you can't, all of these resources are on our website, and you can go to our website and www.valleybrook.cc and go to the other resources page, and you can find everything there. Now today, we are looking at the reality that kingdom culture leans into discipleship. You know, due to the continuing pandemic, movie theaters are at a crisis because uh, the movies that were scheduled to be released this year and this fall, and they've been postponed until next year. The latest James Bond movie was scheduled to be released next month, and it's been moved to April, and other movies are sure to follow. So what are the theaters doing? Well, for the handful of new releases that are out there, they are playing them, but those theaters are having to fill their empty places with old movies. That's right. They are running reruns. In fact, a local theater has advertised their reruns as comeback classics. So I checked out a local theater that's doing that. So you can imagine during the month of October, they're showing a host of old classic Halloween movies. But next month, among other movies, they're showing Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Now today, as I said, we're going to focus on discipleship in the kingdom of God, but I want to share a story from the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail because I think it will make sense. There's a scene in the movie where King Arthur and his knights are looking for the Holy Grail. And they come to a bridge that spans what is called the abyss of eternal peril. There's a bridge keeper on the bridge and he allows people to cross the bridge only if they can answer three questions. Get one wrong and you're tossed into the abyss of eternal peril. 
So the first knight comes up to approach the bridge and to be tested, and it's Sir Lancelot. The keeper asked him what his name is, and he answers Lancelot. He says, what's your quest? Lancelot answers, to seek the Holy Grail. And then he asks him the third question, what's your favorite color? Shocked, Lancelot says, blue. He goes, right, off you go. And he lets Lancelot cross the bridge, and he's amazed that this was so easy. The second knight similarly states his name and his quest, but the third question is now different. The question is, what is the capital of Assyria? I don't know that, he says. And then the knight is hurled, screaming into the abyss of eternal peril. The second knight that comes through is gone. The third knight is Sir Galahad. Now, he's quite nervous when he's asked his name and his quest, but he gets through it correctly. And then he is asked, what's your favorite color? And Sir Galahad panics, blue, uh, no, yellow. Then, ah, and he's thrown into the abyss of eternal peril. Finally, the king steps up. What is your name, the bridge keeper says. Arthur, king of the Britons, what is your quest, he's asked. To seek the Holy Grail. And then the third question. What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Now, there's a slight pause, and Arthur responds, Which do you mean, an African swallow or a European swallow? The bridge keeper says, What? I don't know that. Then all of a sudden, ah, the bridge keeper is thrown into the abyss of eternal peril. Arthur and his followers thereafter cross the bridge unhindered. Now, some people's idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that one day we'll get to the bridge to heaven and we'll be asked, why should you be allowed to cross? They think as long as they answer correctly, they'll make it across. Answer wrongly and they're cast into the abyss. In that worldview, the gospel is redefined by needing to meet the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven. But you know what? Jesus never said, I'm going to tell you what you need to get into heaven when you die. Jesus gave us good news, and that good news is that by faith, we can be saved, and we are no longer having to live with our guilt and our failure and our impotence over our own small strength. You see, the transforming presence and power of God is available to us through Christ right here and right now. And to live in that power, we must become a follower of Jesus, a disciple. Becoming Jesus' disciples starts with our faith in him. And yes, that saving faith that gets us into heaven, not faith of doing any kind of good deeds. But being a disciple is more than that because Jesus wants more for us. You see, recognizing and owning that you are a disciple of Jesus is the culture of the kingdom of God that he wants for us. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean for me to be a disciple? Now, the Greek word in the New Testament that is translated as disciple is mathetes, which can mean a learner or a pupil, but it goes much deeper than that. So let's actually ask Jesus 
what he said about what it means to be a disciple. Here's the first thing that we see Jesus tells us in the Bible about what it means to be a disciple. He points out that a disciple prioritizes. That's right. A disciple sets priorities, and that priority is to put Jesus in your life. In fact, in everything and in all things in our lives. I want you to look at how Jesus describes what it means to be a disciple. We see this in the Gospel of Mark. Let me begin in uh, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, that's really strong language that Jesus is using, but, but Jesus is looking at the big picture between heaven and hell, between the temporary life we have on earth and the eternal life that we will have after our deaths. In light of these things, a disciple then does deny himself or herself, and he or she takes up their cross, which is the culture of the kingdom of God. In verse 35, Jesus reminds us of the different perspective of the kingdom when he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. He's saying in your brief time, your brief years on this earth, you can reject Jesus and you can live for this world and everything it has to offer, but by rejecting Jesus, you will lose out on the abundant life promised for believers on this earth, as well as you will lose out on the joy of inheriting eternal life. When we make Jesus our priority, we intentionally say that because we believe in Jesus, we belong to him, and we are going to live differently than the world tells us to live. That means we must pull down some of the things that have, made a, that have made themselves a priority in our lives. We must pull down anything that we've placed above Christ in our lives. We must remove anything that is not God-honoring. We must go from being self-centered to being Christ-centered, from being a people-pleaser to being a God-pleaser, from being in the culture of the world to being in the culture of the kingdom of God. When we prioritize Jesus, it will change how we handle life before, during, and after this pandemic. When we prioritize Jesus, it will change how we handle the political discourse. When we prioritize Jesus, it will change how we engage in conversations on racial reconciliation. When we prioritize Jesus, we will stop looking at everything through the view of what's best for us, what's best for me, and we'll start looking at everything through the view of what does Jesus want me to do and what is best 
for the kingdom of God. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus gives us some more insight into how we should prioritize Jesus in our lives. Listen to what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now that last verse is familiar to us, but that first verse in the strength of Jesus' words is is both shocking and off-putting to us. But let's unpack what Jesus is telling us. You see, he's telling us that following him means that we will reject our self-interest for our interest in him. It also means that we will put our relationship with him above all other relationships. When we read that Jesus says to hate those who are closest and dearest to us, that is extremely shocking to our ears. So what does that mean? Now, we need to remember that both Jesus and his disciples taught against hating people. So what is he doing by saying this? Well, I appreciate what scholars write about this. One scholar said, you know, our modern day understanding of the word hate pigeonholes it as opposite to love. But in the context of Jesus' story here, hate has a meaning of loving less, not an absence of love. Now, to understand this, we must see the assumptions behind what Jesus was saying and what he was doing. First, he assumed a conflict uh, what he wanted to, between what he wanted to be done and what a family wanted to be done. He saw a similar conflict between personal self-interest and Christ's own interest. Second, Jesus used hyperbole to make his point. This means he expressed something in the most radical language possible in order to get us to hear what he said and to think about it. So when conflict arises between personal desires or family desires and Christ's mission, the disciple has no problem in knowing what to do. Christ's mission always takes precedence, no matter how serious the need of others. Nothing can be used as an excuse to refuse to do what Christ has called a disciple to do. So Jesus is telling us he must be our priority and then everything and everyone else will fall in order under him. This is the kingdom culture of being a disciple. So a disciple prioritizes Jesus. He tells us that. The second thing that we see Jesus tell us is this, that a disciple follows him. That's right. A disciple follows Jesus. In the gospel of John, we read that Jesus said these things. I'll just start with the first verse. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. A disciple of Jesus follows his teachings. Now, practically speaking, that means we read and listen to scripture and we study it. Now, let me emphasize why we study it. 
We study it to live it, not just to learn it. We study it to be able to live it out, not just to have some new head knowledge. We study what Jesus taught so we can live it out and so we can apply it to the circumstances of our lives that we encounter every day. Now, it's often been noted that in the banking systems, when banks train their tellers and their clerks to spot counterfeit money, they spend very little time dealing with actual counterfeit bills themselves. Instead, where they spend their time and a lot of time is focused on the characteristics and the design of genuine currency. Why? Because when you know what's genuine, you can easily spot a fake. And it's the same for handling Jesus' teaching. The more we study it, the more we know it, the more we apply it, the more it defines us as his followers, as his disciples. As one commentator writes, the Christian's handling of errors should be like the handling of money. The more we know about God's truth, the easier it will be for us to spot things that are not true. Now let's focus on verse 32. Remember what Jesus said? He said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So look, if you're a student of God's word, you will know what is right and what is wrong and what to do in specific circumstances. And even when scripture is not black and white on some topics, you will know how to decide what to do because you know the principles and the values of Jesus' teaching. Knowing God's word sets us free from the stress of trying to figure out how to decide what to do or what not to do. What is right? What is wrong? How to decide something in the midst of something that's not very clear. Now look, I'm not naive. We all know that following God's word in the culture of the kingdom goes against the culture of the world that we live in. We have to admit that because being faithful and obedient to God's word can be hard because it's going against the flow of popular culture. But for the disciple of Jesus, it goes back to prioritizing him in our lives. Remember, when we make Jesus our priority, we're intentionally saying that because we believe in Jesus, we belong to him, and we're going to live differently than the world lives. Disciples are people who follow the teaching of Jesus and live out what Jesus says we're supposed to do. The third thing that Jesus said about being a disciple is this. He said, a disciple is fruitful. That's right. A disciple is fruitful. Jesus tells us this when he taught about the vine and the branches in John 15. He tells us that he is the vine, the very true vine. And he tells us that God is the gardener of the vineyard. And then this is what he says about us. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Being fruitful is what we're talking about. Disciples of Jesus bear fruit. And being fruitful requires remaining connected to the true vine, Jesus. Jesus is the true vine that guides us in what it means to be his disciple. Now, don't overlook the distinctive of being fruitful. In the midst of telling us to remain in him and that bearing fruit shows we are his disciples, Jesus tells us that an effective prayer life leads to fruitfulness. That's right. You see, if we're abiding in him, we can ask whatever we wish and it will be granted. Now remember, this is in the context of being a fruit-bearing disciple. This tells us two things. Jesus wants to be connected to us so we can talk to him in prayer anywhere, anytime, all the time. And second, As his disciple, Jesus wants to help us bear fruit for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. So what is it the fruit, what is the fruit that the disciples are supposed to produce? The fruit that we are supposed to produce is Christ-likeness, being like Jesus himself. We need to be more like him. The longer that we follow his commands and his teaching, the more we'll become like him. Now, to be even more specific, the Bible tells us that once we believed in Jesus, God placed his Holy Spirit into our hearts. And it is the Holy Spirit in us that helps us be fruitful like Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us this about the fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit brings to us. It tells us this, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all attributes of being Christ-like. That is the fruit that disciples of Jesus are supposed to bear. And we do this through and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do it to the glory of God. Now remember, being fruitful shows you are a disciple. And being fruitful is being just like Jesus. Now the last thing that we need to see that Jesus tells us that disciples do is this. A disciple loves. You know, in the current climate of this country, this command may bring some conviction to some of us or, in fact, to all of us. Jesus said these words in John 13. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus is telling us, That the love of fellow Christ followers is the evidence that we are his disciples, that we're part of God's family. Now, unfortunately, in the 2,000 plus years since Jesus said this, while the family of God, the church, has grown exponentially all over the world, 
It has also fractured into many groups, separated by doctrinal differences, traditions, and practices. There are far too many Christian groups in this country, much less in the world, to get an accurate number. But that very fact tells you how fractured we are. You know, once Christians seem to be separated along doctrinal lines or along ethnic lines, but in these recent years, we've also seen the church become even more fractured, even within individual congregations along political lines. And all of these separations, all of these fractions, all of these divisions within the body of Christ break the heart of God. Let's be clear about what Jesus is saying here. God, through Jesus, is allowing the people of the world, that's right, even non-Christians, to look at us and our behaviors and judge whether we are truly Christ's disciple by the way we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's right. God is allowing the world to judge us our faithfulness to God by whether or not we're loving fellow Christians. He says that we're supposed to love one another. That's Christians to Christians. That will prove to the world, he says, that you are my disciples if the world sees you love each other. So let me ask you a question. How would your friends, Christians and non-Christians, rate you on how you love your fellow Christians? How you talk about them, how you act toward them, what you say about them. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, but wait, 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 wait. Some Christians don't vote for the same person or party I vote for. And some people who say they are Christians don't have the same position that I have on a certain social issue. And some Christians don't do church the way we do church. Well, you know what? After believing in Jesus, what he did say are the hallmarks of being a disciple are these things. He says, the hallmark of being a disciple is someone who prioritizes me, who follows my teaching, who bears fruit, and who loves their fellow Christian. Jesus didn't mention politics, social issues, or how we do church, as well as a long list of other things that Christians seem to be divided over. So let me ask you, how are you loving one another? That's non-negotiable for Jesus' disciples. That's non-negotiable for you and me. We are called to love one another. In 1937, as he observed the rise of the Nazi party, Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. In that book, which I would recommend to anyone to read, he talks about what it costs to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, we're not talking about dollars and cents. We're talking about what it costs to be different, to be part of the culture of the kingdom of God, to live for Jesus in this world in our lifetimes. Let me read to you what Bonhoeffer wrote. He said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. 
Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. On the other hand, he says, costly grace is the kingly rule of Christ in our hearts. For whose sake a man would pluck out his eye, which causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets or her nets and follows Jesus. Cheap grace is not discipleship. It is worthless religious activity. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to count the cost and to follow Jesus no matter the cost. He is the king who invites us into the kingdom of God and to help make it happen on earth as it is in heaven. That is the kingdom culture. So look, my challenge to you today is to lean into discipleship. Lean into what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Lean into seeing what Jesus says it means to be a disciple. And take stock. And if you find something missing, ask him to help you put it there. Look, this morning I want to close and pray for every single one of us to lean into what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple. I'm going to pray for every single one of us to count the cost and be faithful and obedient to Jesus. At the same time, I recognize there may be someone listening today who has never told Jesus they believe in him and want to follow him. So I'm going to start off my prayer giving you the opportunity to tell him that you believe in him and that you want to follow him. And if you pray that suggested prayer that I'm going to give, putting it in your own words, please let us know that you prayed that prayer. You can send us an email at connect at valleybrook.cc or you can just drop us a note during the week. We would love to hear from you. So wherever you are, in the house here or at home, bow your heads and close your eyes and let me lead us in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your love for us and your care for us. And for those who have never told Jesus that they believe in him, this is your opportunity today. Just pray these words back to God. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And now I want to follow him all the days of my life. Now, staying in a time of prayer, Lord, I pray for every single one of us who call you Lord and Savior, that we would lean into being disciples, that we would make you a priority above all other things and people in our lives, that we would follow your teaching and make it ours, that we would seek to bear fruit for your kingdom and for the glory of God and that we would be a shining example to the world of what it means to love one another, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, if there is anything in our lives that is not of you, that is not of being a disciple, make it clear to us. Reveal it to us this day and give us the courage to confess it and repent of it 
and walk in our discipleship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.